0: Welcome to the RealPython podcast. This is episode one, and my name is Christopher Bailey, your host. And this week, I have a conversation with Geron Yella, one of the authors here at RealPython. We talk about Python decorators and his background, do a little bit of introspection to discuss the RealPython editing process. Then we talk about some of the articles he's written for the site and touch on his talk at PyCon last year. One programming note, in this episode, we discuss PyCon US 2020. The episode was recorded at an earlier date And at this moment, PyCon US 2020 is looking at its options for rescheduling or a potential cancellation. I'll continue to give you additional updates on PyCon US in upcoming episodes as we find out more information. And now, here's episode one. So let's get started. The RealPython podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world, interviews with experts in the community, and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. So where are you joining me from? I'm in Oslo in Norway. So on the other side of the planet, I'm here in Colorado.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where it's currently snowing, we were talking earlier about
1: weather. (laughs) Right, yeah, I'm kind of envious of your snow, but we'll we'll probably get some here as well.
0: Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about how you got involved with Python, and then eventually, real Python.
1: Right, Um, yeah, so if I'm kind of going all all the way back first for some background, I uh, have been coding essentially forever, because my dad got a Commodore 64 when I was a young boy, and uh, I think he just wanted to play games on it but i figured i could do a little bit of basic on it and then i kind of got coding when i was like eight nine years old which was has been a big gift to kind of have that possibility and uh, then uh, i had a brief interaction with python at a summer internship about 20 years ago now i guess but that was python six, i believe and wow for some reason i think it, it seemed complicated i don't know why uh, but i think it was just that Sort of like the lack of structure that I was used to at the time from Java and these kind of things. So you kind of had the, the main entry point and so on. So I put it aside for many years and then 2012, I think I kind of got a little bit back into it Then was totally blown away by how quick and easy it was to write. I think the first project was a small parser that we wanted to essentially create a report, P- PDF report uh, from something. And it was, uh, I kind of set aside, this would take a long time, but then in two hours and we were done and it's kind of, oh. That's it. This is fantastic. Nice. And so then I've kind of been uh, using it more and more. And I changed jobs back in 2014. I started working for Norwegian Mapping Authority. And uh, they're kind of getting into an old project that was using Fortran. But we then uh, essentially started rewriting it and started using Python for that. So then I really got deep into Python. And we did uh, all kinds of stuff from compiling some Fortran to stuff we could read from Python. Uh, so essentially, got Fortran into Python modules in a sense, and uh, then doing a lot of the NumPy work to kind of get this thing to to run around. That gave me a lot of experience with Python, which was really cool, and I just get got to love it more and more.
0: Yeah, it's nice to be able to convert something that's already existing and have yeah. a direction you're you're headed in. And is is the company using any Fortran anymore?
1: Uh, at least for this project, we're pure Python now. So. And it uh, uh, so so that was very nice. It kind of got rid of essentially two hundred thousand lines of Fortran code or something like this Wow to that's, <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot 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 <laughs> into something that's much easier to handle in python so that that was a fun project to work on then I guess it's about two years ago now, yeah early twenty eighteen uh I heard uh dan uh Bader was on the I think it was the Python Bytes podcast where he announced that he had uh, or mentioned that he had kind of taken over the real Python website. And I already knew Dan a little bit from his newsletters. And then in one of the newsletters, he essentially said, uh, do you want to write for us? Send me a note. And uh, I did send this quick note and uh, got an answer and essentially got uh, what we typically do for uh, people coming in as authors is giving them a trial article to write. So that's kind of your how to get into the team. So I picked an article about Pathlib, which is this uh, very nice uh, library for working with paths. And I guess it came in in Python 3.4. So it's starting to become quite solid one. And I hadn't used it too much then, but I figured this would be a good exercise in getting to know the library and and so on. I just had a few experiences with which were very good. Then I was kind of working through that Article and I remember I was actually on uh, in a cabin in the mountains in uh, actually in northern Sweden um when I got a message from Dan saying that uh, he really liked the article and welcomed me on on board the team so that was that was fun uh, so since then I've guess I've written something like seven or eight articles by now oh, that's great gotten to write quite a few articles and then now I'm also been working on the team. Uh, uh, doing tech reviews for other articles so essentially i guess we should at some point explain the whole publishing pipeline with you
0: yeah what's the, the pipeline look like you know where does tech review fit in
1: <laughs> so it, it started when when i first uh, wrote the first article uh that was quite early so i it was essentially dan was reviewing my article giving some notes and we were back and forth a little bit but since then it's kind of grown a lot and set up a the full pipeline so we have an uh, editor, uh, Joanna Jablanski, who is kind of still doing a lot of uh, stuff, but uh, then during the pipeline, we we also offload some of the responsibility to other people on the team. So the pipeline now is essentially that you, or you first write uh, an outline for an article, and then that's being reviewed, you get some comments on it, then you go off and write the first, you, you write the article essentially, and uh, once that's done, it's sent over to another team member for a technical review where we kind of make sure that the technical aspects of the article make sense. And then it's passed on to a didactic review where we kind of consider the the article as something that uh, would be useful for people to learn from. And so what can we make this? Uh, how how can we best address the readers and, and make sure everything is understandable? And then finally, there's the stage where we do a language edit. So kind of clean up all the uh, yeah, in my case, all the commas tend to move around at the language edit its <laughs> Sure. So, uh, I'm pretty sure the comma rules are different in Norwegian and English because the, I still can't really wrap my head around that part. It's uh, it's quite a process, uh, but uh, that's kind of been one of the really cool things uh, with getting involved with this. this was that I didn't really expect is how much I've been learning myself, both about how to write and uh, about python itself of course and then getting to know all the people on the team and so on so it's been a really rewarding commitment in a sense so ah, yeah. so as i mentioned um, i'm doing some tech reviews but then the last actually year or so i've been doing most of the outline reviews at real python as well so which is really cool because then i get to communicate a little bit with all the new authors coming on board. And I get to kind of see most articles before, well, most anybody else. So that's also been a lot of fun to do. And uh, we do these reviews. So the outline review and the didactic review typically do as videos. So we kind of sit down. So so I typically make a video that's probably 10 to 15 minutes long for each outline and kind of talk through it help the readers along a little bit come with some ideas for how how to structure things and so on
0: are you showing say the wording of the outline as you're going through that or is it just you yourself like a like on a screen capture
1: uh yeah no so you do or I do a screen shot uh, essentially uh, looking at the outline co- commenting on the different things so okay me I'm only I'm, I'm only audio but uh yeah
0: yeah I um I have a similar path in the sense that i got introduced to dan's work through his python tricks book and i think he was on again one of the other podcasts probably talk python talking about that book and so then i joined the newsletter same kind of deal and then he was looking for people to do video courses about this time last year and i have a background in teaching for gosh over 10 years and a background in like final cut pro and was just kind of getting into python i had Maybe a year under my belt in Python, I had been using SQL and a lot of data science in R and a platform called FileMaker Pro. And so I was super excited with the idea of like, okay, like you said, this is a really awesome way to learn. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And sometimes teaching is one of the best ways to to learn a new topic and and you know have to really explain it to somebody else in that way. And so I've really enjoyed that process. And in kind of a similar way, I had to create a pilot. I created my first course was a pilot course on requests. And over the last year now, I'm kind of in the process of in my own reviewing, I'm reviewing the courses as they're created by the other video course creators. And so I kind of get to see them, like you said, in sort of a raw form and provide feedback and try to help people wash them up. And all this in some ways is helping Dan kind of continue to, you know, spin many plates in other areas. So the team kind of grows and which is working out really good, I think.
1: Yeah, no, it's been uh, a lot of fun to see, to see the growth and how Dan al always something new happening there. So, and uh, yeah, I must admit that I didn't hear too much about the video team before you guys were kind of on. And I think uh, one of my first uh, experiences, which were really cool, was uh, I think one of your, yeah, apparently not the first, but one of your first videos was uh, the one about decorators.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're here to talk about, too.
1: <laughs> exactly. And uh, I, I didn't even know this was being made until it just popped up there. And then I kind of, oh, that's interesting. I, I want to see see what this is about. And then you had essentially converted my article then into into a video, which was a lot of fun to kind of just essentially see my words made into a video. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, come out of somebody else's mouth. Right. And, and yeah, lots of highlighting. And yeah, it's it was... Mm-hmm. I really like working on on your stuff. Actually, I think it's our, uh, we've had three collaborations, <laughs> yeah. Now, sort of through uh, the different different courses and articles, right? Yeah, yeah. And i I couldn't get, <laughs> I couldn't quite fit all of the article into my course. I have to go back and look at the actual total length. But, but yeah, it's like it's kind of neat. You you go way into some really great depth. Mm-hmm. So somebody wants to dip their toes into it, they can really get an idea of like okay, you know, this background of what decorators are and then kind of keep stacking on top additional levels if somebody wants to keep going and go deeper into it. So I really like that about it.
1: Right, yeah, because I guess uh, a little bit of background because I think that was my third article, third, of actually fourth article that was published because, yeah, we rushed in a Python 3.7 in the middle. Uh, it, it was an article that already existed on the site uh, before Dan took over.
0: Who is the original author on that?
1: Oh, this, I think it's Michael Herman that did it. Uh, Okay. He was one of the founders of RealPython. Yeah. and uh, But uh, yeah, I I haven't seen the exact kind of credits for for the old stuff, but uh, I think that was his. I remember it it was a very neat uh, article already, and uh, it has a very nice uh, introduction into essentially how decorators are really just functions applied to functions. That's essentially what they do and uh, had a nice explanation of how inner functions work and these things that you kind of need need a background for.
0: Yeah, that's one of those things that I, I think is really crucial. Like yeah. the concept that, you know, to give people a background on it. I, I know that I had seen the syntactic sugar of the at symbol just kind of going through tutorials on my own and trying to learn things like Flask or mm-hmm. Django or other places and going, okay, I'm not sure what that symbol means and what's going on inside there. And so that's why I really wanted to jump on Yeah getting into <laughs> the weeds and learning all the different details of it so
1: yeah because uh, i guess dec- decorators are this kind of interesting feature where they they feel to some extent natural in that you can kind of understand what they mean for instance if you have a say a property inside of a class there's just this word saying property on top of it so it seems okay this is probably a property or with the flask i guess you have the login required decorator that kind of just sits atop there so it kinda of makes sense what it's supposed to do, but how it technically works is is a whole other story, right?
0: Yeah. It's such a neat tool to be able to reuse code and not not have to in the case of some of the examples given in the tutorial, where you're going in and showing a reusability of something like a logger mm-hmm. or uh, timing functions or slowing down code. I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah. But I actually thought about the other day, I was a little confused on a topic myself. Again, having not had as much time in it i've been reviewing a lot of courses that are about object oriented stuff lately and i really wondered about that property decorator and you know the difference between an attribute and converting into a property is you really get the ability to add those getter and setter sort of customizable methods as opposed to any kind of data coming in you could clean what's coming in when you go to set something a test for things you've had a class about a car or and you had an attribute that was like, you know, storage space or something like that, somebody could just change that and assign it to a negative number, which wouldn't really make any sense. And so by then turning it into a property, when you go to set that value, it could respond back and say well that's actually you know invalid that wouldn't work in this case you can't have a you know negative value in this car <laughs> or something
1: right yeah and i think if if you're kind of coming from languages like java where you have explicit getters and setters yeah the property is exactly that for python and i kind of like the the way it's implemented is uh it's very it's it's not obtrusive at all and it kind of gives you the opportunity to, to kind of easily switch if you have Uh, an attribute that you start out with but then you realize i really need to for instance as you say restrict certain values so i should take care in my setter that only certain values are allowed then you can just add this property instead so change your attribute to a property and all the code stays the same on the outside but you get this extra feature
0: really clean yeah
1: so so you can kind of refactor later instead of in in java you typically make your getters and setters in case you need them uh, with a lot of uh, templating code while in Python, you can kind of know, just use the attributes as long as they're good enough and then you can change later if needed. So I, I really like that model.
0: It's nice about Python in that sense. At a basic level, you can really, you know, like you said, very quickly structure something and then you can add the complexity as you go. And that's one of the things I I kind of like about it. Yeah, You don't have to just, you know, comparing like something simple like Hello Worlds between, you know, Java and, <laughs> and Python. Yes. It's so, so amazing. Mm. When I started planning this interview with you, I ran across this talk that you'd done, PyCon 2019, right? And it was about plugins. Yep. You want to go over what you were talking about there?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, so this is essentially uh, something that I kind of worked out a little bit for myself, but kind of, kind of like probably too 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 much uh, to abstract code a little bit out, and uh, and es- essentially or especially things like keeping. Uh, things that should be configurable outside of the code itself so I can easily change them. And um, one thing uh, that I kind of ended up doing in many of my projects is that, say, I want to run, want to test different models, for instance. So currently I'm working on a soccer app and I want to do different models for modeling uh, modeling a shot. And then instead of kind of needing to hard code into, into the code itself, how to do stuff, it's nice to just have a config file that that could even be triggered by some options that kind of says, okay, use this model or that model and so on. And what that kind of translates to on the back end is that I want to be able to run different different methods or different functions. And of course, you can do this by putting all your functions into a dictionary and then kind of doing dispatch from that or, or something like that. But that suddenly means that you need to maintain a list of which functions are available and you can end up with then writing in the function name several places so after a while when i uh, i discovered decorators in python and figured out that I could use a decorator to add stuff automatically to the dictionary that i can dispatch from so essentially instead of having a decorator that actually changes my function i just have a decorator that can register that the function exists so so that's uh, what what i essentially then call a plugin is a function that is registered somewhere and then I can just go through and, for instance, read method names from a config file or from options and things like this. And then I can dispatch to the functions based on that. And this is, at least to, to me, it, it really works as a very nice general kind of way of structuring my programs. And uh, I've been very happy with that way of uh, yeah, working. The talk on PyCon last year was essentially a quick example of how, how that is set up. And uh, showing then, uh, I believe that was, I did a quick example of a plotting tool that could plot different file types with different plots. So you kind of have, yeah, you needed different readers, data readers that were able to dispatch based on the file name. And then you can. Okay.
0: So like if you had an Excel file versus uh, just a straight CSV or a text file or something.
1: Right. Exactly. So it's a CSV file. You use probably pandas read csv and then for json you can use the built-in json library and things like this okay great nice so that's something that i uh, yeah i I use it for for all 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 my work essentially so i have uh, created a small package which it's still not properly documented so i haven't really been showing it off too much but uh, it's called Pyplugs, which is then essentially has this register decorator and and ways to dispatch from that. Yeah, as I said, re- really effective way of working.
0: When you did that talk, it's, I'll include a link in the show notes to it, because it's available on YouTube, right? Yep. And then do you have additional resources that you uh, shared with the audience or the participants?
1: Uh, so so the talk was essentially just the live coding through through the example. Okay. And all my notes and the code that was there, I have on my GitHub uh, page as well so i have yeah github okay at uh, slash talks so
0: okay yeah we can again include links to that stuff too yeah so i actually just registered for pycon a couple days ago so i'm going to be going to pittsburgh this year which i'm super excited about and while i was doing that i noticed your name again (laughs) yes on there and it looks like you're doing a tutorial this year
1: yeah that was really fun to to get accepted for that so i uh yeah i uh, proposed a t- tutorial on decorators and uh, so so that will be a lot of fun to to work out so it, it will be uh i guess fairly similar to to the article and going into uh starting off with some of the basic t- decorators and then moving on to to the more advanced stuff so nice i think i have uh just looking at my notes here for what i was uh Saying yeah, so so we'll probably talk a little bit about things like how to just get started with the. I think the hello world of decorators is often the timing decorator. It, it fits so nicely into into this way of working, right? But then kind of yeah, I'll mention also how I do the plugin stuff, but then also more more advanced stuff like uh, runtime type pin uh, type enforcing and those kind of things. So kind of kind of going through all the different things you can do with decorators again i guess it's nice these things are filmed and I, I really like all the work they do on pycon in terms of getting getting resources also to people who are not able to attend and so on so it's it's a very nice place to to are the tutorials uh, a new thing that they're doing this year and uh, no they have been doing them for quite a few years so okay. the way uh, pycon is set up is that uh, at least the last couple of years, it's been two days of tutorials uh, that are before the main conference. And then you have the three days of the main conference. And then you have, a, uh, I guess they're doing even four days of sprint afterwards where you can kind of help.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Uh, I think uh, so, so. last year I was there for the tutorials and the conference and two days of sprints. And it seemed to uh, quite a few people were going home after two days of sprints. But it's uh, it's really a meeting place for all these different big projects. So, you, uh, if 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 you're going, I would really recommend trying to stay for at least one day of sprints as well, and and both getting to know some pro- some of the big projects there and meeting people and just hanging out, helping out there. It's a lot of fun.
0: Cool. So, how many years have you gone to PyCon?
1: Uh, PyCon US was my first time. Yes, uh, last year. Yeah. And, uh, partly, well, I live in Norway, so it's, it's a long travel to go there. Sure. And, um, so, so I've mostly been going to, uh, my, my kind of go-to conference that I've been going to now five, six years is EuroSciPy, the European Scientific Python conference, which is a, uh, also a, a really nice, it's, it's a much smaller conference, a couple of hundred people, but, uh, it's, it's a really nice kind of meeting place. And now that I've been going there for some years, you meet lots of friends every time and so on but it also has uh, kind of the same structure with tutorials and main conference and sprint, although just one day of sprint and so on. Um, But then uh, PyCon I've kind of been looking to, and okay, it would be fun to go, but uh, it's a long travel and so on. But then after I joined RealPython and kind of realized that this would be a great chance to meet some of the other authors, some of the other team members, uh, then I really uh, figured, okay, I, I should try to go and that was really a highlight last year. Was kind of seeing these people that I mostly know through Slack chats and uh, <laughs> yeah. and and avatars kind of come alive and kind of seeing oh there's there's Dan there's Jim there's David there's everybody. It was it was really nice. And I think this year will be even more real Python people there, so uh, that should be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's Dan's. Uh, looks like he's got a booth. Yeah, going to be a nice kind of central hub for us to meet at. Hmm.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And uh probably the most fun stuff we did last year was uh, we also did an open space on RealPython where we just anybody interested come come meet us. And we had something like fifty people join in a room and we we're kinda talking about oh wow. Um both yeah, their experiences with RealPython but also what are their, kinda their wishes. So it was a lot of readers that are kinda what what would they like to see going forward and things like this. So that was really interesting and a lot of fun to actually meet the people that you just see in comments and right. things like this.
0: Yeah, that's one kind of really cool thing that I noticed on, on that Decorators article is that I think it's 150 comments <laughs>
1: or something like that. Right.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of great interaction going on there. And, yes.
1: Um, and your responses
0: are, are really great. Uh,
1: yeah, and the, the comments, is if, if you kind of look at, um, they kind of go back i guess it's five years or something now to back when the original article was first published right uh, until it was i guess republished or updated was last summer no it's a year and a half ago i guess 2018 um so so it's been around for quite a while as well and it but i think it's uh probably one of our more popular articles i see in my stats that it always gets a good visit so that's been a lot of fun I think that was kind of one of the, essentially our worries also when we did the big update was because it was such a popular article. How would it work that we actually did this fairly big uh, tweak to it? But uh, it seems to have been working out nicely. And as you say, yeah, we got a lot of nice comments yeah, uh, on it as well.
0: And then one of the things that we did last year after the the video course came out, We decided, the three of us, Dan, you and me, to do sort of a Slack Q&A about decorators and kind of opened up this whole forum, which was really neat. And we were able to save it as a downloadable PDF now. yeah, Something kind of neat that we're always adding new things to the site to kind of help add more (laughs) resources for, for learning on these different topics, which has been really kind of fun to help create.
1: Yeah, no, and I really like when we're able to kind of go back to to some of our old old, old Goldies in a sense and, and add even more content around them. So from the, I guess, original article to kind of the, the more in-depth article to the video, to the uh, Q&A and things like this. So that's uh, that's always a lot of fun. And uh, I guess for this one, we don't have a quiz. I know I've been talking to Dan a few times that maybe we should make one, but I've I've never gotten around to it. Uh, but that's also some stuff we do at the at the site, right? So many of our articles have quizzes as well, which also seem to be a very popular feature with people. So
0: going back to your uh, SciPy.
1: yep, Euro sci-pi.
0: and yeah, the Euro What time of year does does that meet at?
1: Uh, that's usually end of August. Uh, this okay. this year it will be end of July instead, but it's uh, I think otherwise it's been and and last week of August.
0: So you would consider the role that you have at your work to be a, like a data scientist or a developer?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm uh, officially a data scientist and I, I okay. try to kind of keep that title and uh, I really love programming, but I'm kind of thinking that it's, it's always nice when I can use it as a tool to also do, do more stuff with it in a sense. At work, I, I work for a data science consultancy called Amasto XBridge. And we're kind of trying to take on uh, different projects where we do yeah, data science, machine learning, and those kind of things. So currently I'm working on two different projects. One is a soccer app where we're trying to analyze uh, people shooting penalty kicks. And another one is where I'm working uh, for for more of an a- industrial partner that's doing krill fishing in the South Atlantic. Oh, wow. Two very different projects. Yeah. But it's uh, it's a lot of fun to kind of... Uh, try the different challenges and so on so for
0: the soccer app is that geared toward particular teams and like coaches helping improve the players or is it something that an individual who wants to improve their own game would use uh
1: right so it's it's a little bit of both so uh, it's um uh, the the idea is that it, it should be something, if, if you kind of look at some of the big games, like the World Cup and things like this, you'll see that you have all these fancy graphics and it kind of tells you that the Messi is shooting the ball in 120 kilometers an hour and things like this. Right. And uh, for this, they, of course, use all these fancy sensors that you can't really use or buy yourself, typically. So the idea has kind of been to see, can we get some of that um, that stuff? essentially for free by just using your cell phone okay so it's it's just an app on your cell phone and then you kind of film yourself with this and it it uh, uh, needs to do a little bit of setup to kind of so we know where you filmed from and things like this but then we kind of do a lot of uh, computer vision based tracking of the ball and so on and and are able to calculate the speed and precision of, of your shots and uh, this can both be used just for yourself to kind of uh, either test yourself if you're improving or play against friends. Uh, but uh, the idea then is also that it can be used by coaches on teams and so on to kind of track the players or track, track people as they, as they develop. Nice. So it, it's been a lot of, yeah, it's been a fun project to, to, to work on, definitely.
0: And the other project, is that for helping with fishing or helping with just the overall environment in those areas for the krill?
1: uh yes yeah, so it's kind of making improving on the yeah on the on the fishing process in a sense and one, one thing is that they're using a lot of uh, fuel and steam uh, so kind of how how can you make that more effective and and so on it's it's definitely a big thing and then we've kind of been also looking into how can you more effectively find krill which are these tiny little animals in the big sea and
0: uh, i always think of them as far as whales you know right that's, that's like the main thing they kind of you know like a blue whale
1: right yeah no so, so that's actually one thing we've been looking a little bit at uh, there's this site that uh, has a couple of gps sensors placed on whales and then they're tracking how the whales are moving and seeing if we can kind of learn anything from that and of course the whales really like krill so we kind of see oh yeah interesting he's being in that area maybe we should go there and fish and so on there's all kinds of uh yeah interesting ways to to tackle these problems, and uh, then finally, that they have a they have a factory where they kind of process the krill meal into oil. Uh, so it's also just optimizing the factory and things like this. We're also looking into.
0: So your company mm-hmm. that you're working for is a consultancy. You said, yeah. And so they just get hired, and you get put on a variety of different projects. And right, exactly. Like you were just recently traveling. You were here in the U.S. for a little bit.
1: Yeah, that was visiting the factory and kind of. Getting to see a little bit firsthand how how they're doing stuff, and then telling them what kind of things we can do for them, and coming up with use cases where we can work on together. So that that was that was a really nice workshop. That was last week. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's just, that sounds really exciting. <laughs> we touched on it briefly about how people that are getting into python programming mm-hmm. have seen decorators in use right and don't really have an idea of really what's kind of going on behind the scenes yeah. and maybe are just you know repeating the code and a great way to kind of get into them is to really see the the concept of okay the idea that a function is actually just an, another object and then can be passed in as as an argument or as a as a parameter into another function is really initially kind of mind-blowing for a lot of, mm. uh, you know, programmers kind of getting started out, this idea that, okay, well, you know, I, I don't really ever think of, like, you know, functions being passed into functions. Right. But like you were saying a moment ago with your plugins, how the idea that, you know, you could actually put functions into a structure such as, you know, a list or or a dictionary mm. and be able to call things out of them, which is really, you know, kind of a powerful concept inside of Python, yep. um, which is not, really that hard to to implement you know once you kind of get the idea of it Mm,
1: right yeah now once you wrap your mind around it it's it's really easy right because it's just another variable or something like this but getting wrapping your mind around it is not necessarily trivial depending a little bit on your background i guess but
0: yeah and so the idea that you could have this you know pre-built function i guess there's some of them that like we talked about property Mm. um as a decorator that comes, you know, in the Python language itself. Yep. There are uh, other ones that are pretty common, too, that... Yeah,
1: um, I guess when you're talking object-oriented you have property and class method and static method. Oh, right. And then you have the new data classes from 3.7 are implemented as a decorator. Oh, those are, those are decorators, okay.
0: and. So what are examples of those data classes? I know you have an article on that.
1: So. Right, so data classes uh, is something that uh, came with Python 3.7. Uh, and it has, I guess, a backport to 3.6. And it's uh, it's really just a convenient way of defining classes. So a data class, once it's defined, is just a regular class. But uh, the way you define it is that you just put a decorator on top saying this is a data class. And then you just specify... The attributes that you kind of want to have and then the init function or init method is implemented for you automatically it, it puts a nice wrapper on uh, on it and you can uh, easily also have it automatically implement ordering methods and those kind of things so it's mainly just a very convenient way of uh, of defining a class that i then tend to use for for a few different projects essentially
0: I could imagine it'd be really good for data science-y kind of stuff where you're you're dealing with these sort of large groupings of data that you need to, to work through.
1: Right, and I think in some sense the name is slightly misleading in a sense because when I hear a data class, right, I kind of go to the idea, okay, it's mainly maybe more like a struct of data or something like this that you find in other languages. But uh, I find that if you just want to have a struct, that's more like a name tuple, uh, kind of structure gives you that uh, the data class kind of gives you a little bit more on, on top of the and more flexibility so I found myself often just using it for convenience so actually during the holidays uh, I, I got published an article about the I think it's called the Python Timers three ways of um, monitoring your code and um, yep uh, in this one I kind of it kind of starts a little bit with the whole, okay, we want to have a timer where it can just not not to kind of uh, like the time it, see how fast something is, but I just want to, every time I run my code, I want to just log how quickly it ran just to keep a track of it and, and see that it works. Then ways you can do this. And, and if you start quite simple, you kind of just call on the one of the timers that come bundled into Python and you call it before... Your code and after your code and then just subtract these things that's fairly easy to do but the you kind of add a lot of uh, extra code that may not really have anything to do with what you're doing and it's a little bit cryptic why why do you use this and that and so on so just takes away from the readability of yeah it in some essentially ways. so just wrapping this into a class that uh, i just call timer and then have a start and a stop on the timer just makes everything more readable it's still the exact same lines, essentially, you need to do, but uh, you get something that's more readable. And uh, nice. And then, if uh, for this class, if instead of using a regular class, just throw the data class uh, decorator on top of it, you you get something that's very readable as well, because then you get the wrapper implemented for free, for instance, and you you don't need to do the boilerplate stuff in the init method and so on. So that also just uh, helps with implementation. Then uh, you can kind of realized that okay i often do this timer start timer end and then some block in between and that's really what's called the context in python that you have something some block that you want to kind of tag with something so then we implemented the timer as a context manager as well uh, so that uh, your class can be used in this context settings where you can do with and then timer and then colon and then you kind of have your block that you want to time and then you don't need to do the start stop thing then it's just times the blocks of code instead and again this is something that was quite easy to add to the class then we we also quickly added uh, decorator functionality to the class so it can also be used as a decorator so you can just uh, put it on top of a function that you have and then it that function will always be timed when you when you run it so kind of neat neat way of how in the end it kind of ends up uh, being what 30 40 lines of code it's it's very short but it kind of shows off then both classes data classes context managers and decorators together in one in one
0: oh, it ties together a lot of your articles right
1: <laughs> so so that one was a lot of fun to to kind of put together in it felt a little bit different from the other ones where we kind of go for instance in depth on the python decorator where it, it just kind of Tells you enough to be dangerous in a sense with decorators and context managers and classes and so on. Right, right. And uh, I'm kind of half joking because about, about uh, we we made this the code available on PyPI so you can uh, install this yourself. Just pip install code timing. It's called, and uh, it's then essentially this forty lines of code that has a ten thousand word documentation article to it. So it's kinda, <laughs> it's probably the most documented code on piping i guess there you go Get get more of
0: the of, you know the why <laughs> right and the implementation and all that i get a lot of good background so that's good
1: yes no actually just the other day i got a, um, a question from well, from a colleague that was just looking into the code timing one and there was kind of oh why did you implement this as a data class and then i can just send him a link to a whole section about about why but it's quite useful
0: yeah, it's nice. One of the things that I wanted to develop as we continue this podcast is to kind of get an idea of things that my guests are excited about that they're currently, you know, either packages or projects they're work, working with, or even events or things that are happening in the Python world. What are some things that you're currently excited about in the world of Python?
1: What, what? thing uh, i at least want to plug it's it's not nothing new at all but uh the uh, I, I always use the ipython repl when i work with stuff just kind of it, it kind of i guess was the start of the whole Jupyter project and things like this so it, it's very closely tied to that one uh, but i find it it's definitely a huge improvement over the usual python repl
0: what are what are the things you like about it?
1: So uh, yeah, so so a few kind of obvious things. It kind of gives you much better uh, of the tab completion history, and those kind of things. Uh, when you're exploring stuff um, interactively, all the output is saved in variables, so you can kind of easily go back to your through, through your historical output and just get some data from it. Nice. And um, and the help uh, help is easily available that you can just type anything and put on a question mark and you'll get the help text for it or if you do double question mark you get the implementation of the method that you're looking at so when you're kind of exploring uh, different packages it's it's quite powerful
0: yeah I use um, in my uh, courses a repl replacement that Dan suggested to me which is called b python yeah and has a lot of similar uh, functionality it has a you know history and other stuff but you can just you know put a dot in when you're typing in the REPL and it'll give you the, the methods hmm. or attributes or whatever and then also uh it will you know show a lot of the documentation as you're typing and yeah it's probably the most common question i get asked about my courses yes i've seen this <laughs> what is that
1: yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah we should probably just do a video of about the different repls and
0: yeah i think maybe you know like if there i don't know if there's like an article coming out soon but uh, maybe I would just do a standalone video series that just shows like, okay, these are the different choices you have and how to implement them. Yeah. Cause there are just, you know, beyond just the, the straightforward thing. And I agree that, you know, and sometimes when you're working inside of a Jupyter notebook, uh, having done a little bit of data science, in a previous job, is that something I really miss is that interactivity of like, okay, well, what can this thing do? And yeah. not giving you some of that autocomplete and, and so forth. So, right. um, Yeah, so it's It's
1: essentially the REPL that's kind of running the Jupyter. So if you've done anything with Jupyter, you'll feel right at home inside of IPython. And uh, the the way I actually use it whenever I'm developing, uh, which I haven't seen too many other people do, but it's kind of like using breakpoints and debuggers and so on. But instead of adding a debugger, I typically just uh, say I want to implement a function. And I just add in the def, my function name, parameters, and then uh, inside of there, I import IPython and do a IPython.embed. So what that does is that it when it when you call that function, it will start an IPython REPL at that point in your program with all the different variables defined. So then I can interactively figure out how to actually type my code and uh, okay, so find this really effective. Or Are you uh,
0: inside a, an IDE then?
1: Uh, I, I usually just run everything from a terminal, but uh, if you're running okay. inside a terminal in an IDE, then you it it should work more or less the same. Okay. And because uh, th- then I can end up just implementing my uh, my function interactively. And then once I have everything there, uh, ipython kind of has these special commands that are not Python commands, but it uh, just helps you out in the repl. So one of them is history. So then type history, and I see all the stuff I've been doing and just copy paste that back into my code. And then I have my function ready and then I can kind of iterate like that. And
0: uh, Yeah, so handy.
1: Yeah, it's uh, c- compared to how I used to do it with tend tend to be that you kinda run stuff and print something here and there to debug or stuff like this. It's so much easier just to drop yourself into a shell and and then play with it or into the REPL.
0: Yeah, the thing I'm super excited about right now is I was trying to get the uh, Raspberry Pi four when it yeah. saw it came out in the summer. And instantly it was sold out. You know, the idea of it, it has two different video outputs that can be, you know, drive, you know, two 4K monitors on this tiny little (laughs) board. It has four gigabytes of RAM now. Okay, that's cool. And uh, it's drastically faster. So you have to actually like get like a fan and other stuff for it, depending on the types of things you're going to use it for. Mm -hmm. And so I've been, I was doing a course on the Arduino and kind of got interested in the Raspberry Pi kind of related to that. And then I was helping out somebody through the comments. And I, so I said, all right, well, let me just set this thing up and do, do Python in it. And so it was really neat. It comes with Thonny is already in it. And it has. Okay, cool. Um, it has, you know, this Raspbian OS that has both Python 2 and 3 in it, which is a little confusing. I had mm-hmm. to practice some Linux skills, which I, I'm still you know, working on, you know, the app <laughs> get <forget> and <laughs> all those yep. kinds of things of, of uh, installing that, you know, making sure I have everything ready to go. and. And so I was able to sort of set it up, and I said, all right, we'll go to the next step, put the IDE for the Arduino on it, and then I put in VS Code. And so I right. kind of got this little, you know, tiny computer that, you know, I can kind of just play around with and, and program on. And then I thought, okay, well, how could I do, like, screen capture on it? And <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to share this stuff, and that's where it's going to get a little more complex for me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's the thing know. I'm kind of, kind of excited about right now and uh, exploring the the different uses it's just amazing you can have this whole operating system on a mm. on a little uh, micro SD card I want to give people an opportunity to kind of learn some of the, the things that you're working on I already mentioned that I'll include links to your your PyCon talk from 2019 yep there's all the articles that we were talking about on Real Python yep um, are there other things you want to plug or call out to
1: uh, yeah no so uh, I guess in addition to that. I have a few uh PyPI packages that I have mainly been working on for uh, because I find them useful. Uh but so one one is the plugs that we mentioned already. In connection to that, I also have one called PyConfs, which is kind of for dealing with configuration files. So they kind of play very nicely together with the way I kind of tend to structure things. So the PyConfs package, it's it's essentially a wrapper around the uh, a different configuration format so it can read TOML files and ini files and json files and yaml files and so on and kind of get them everything into into a common interface uh, so so that's one thing I've been playing a little bit with recently. Great, okay, will include links to that in the show notes. Yeah uh, it's still slightly unfinished but it's it's getting there so that's always fun. Yeah, just going back to what you mentioned earlier, I'm really looking forward to the PyCon conference and Both getting to meet people there, but also having a chance to to run the decorators tutorial, I think, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's uh, several hours, right? Yeah, I think there's three hour slots, more or less. So you kind of have, the the days are split in two. So you have one morning session, one afternoon session. It's half a day. I'm so
0: looking forward to going and meeting everybody and Mm. getting a chance to talk to all the people that are, like you said, the people that visit the site.
1: Yes, and uh, that that's one thing, if we t- talk a little bit more about RealPython, that's been really cool the last, yeah, I don't even know how, how long, but half a year, year or so, is the RealPython community that's kind of has been built up.
0: Yeah. If people want to join, if you'd like to not only get access to all the 300 articles mm-hmm. that are on or more that are on Real Python, but also you get access to, gosh, it's like over 700, 800 lessons now that are available as video there you get access to the slack right yeah it, it's a really neat community you get to join the our yes. you know this sort of the real python members slack community and there you can ask coding questions introduce yourself and meet other people from all over the world that's one of the other amazing things about real python is it's such a, a wide ranging <laughs> community we have yes. you know
1: and so, uh, yeah, so on the community, and especially the Slack, as you say, I think it's it's a really nice place to hang out and just see all the stuff that people are doing there. And we've had uh, members that have kind of started out asking questions, and then they go on to publish uh, great packages on PyPI and things like this. So it's it's really fun to see see everything that people come up with and all the different things people are doing there. So that's one thing I really enjoy as well.
0: Yeah, it's super positive too, which you know sometimes you get up. Out- the open web and mm. are
1: asking questions and <laughs> people are
0: not always as uh, kind <laughs> so
1: right yeah no it's definitely a it's a fun place to hang out
0: all right well i want to thank you for for joining me on this initial episode here <laughs> of
1: the real python podcast my pleasure it's been a lot of fun to to talk and hang out.
0: Yeah, I know that we can have much more further conversations about some of the other topics, uh, even the ones that we've worked on together, like what, what was new in Python 3.8 was right. really great, and another area that's sort of shrouded in mystery sometimes, which is the whole area of type checking Yes, in, in Python, so I think those would be great conversations to have
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, further on down the road. Sounds fun. Alright, well thanks again. Thank you. I want to thank Garon for talking with me, and I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast player. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star rating and a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com/podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Paley, and I look forward to talking to you soon.